The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Panda Pig Inc. Rate, review, and subscribe. So, um, I'm going to kind of tell you about a few of the crimes and then, you know, we'll get into it. All right, so, let's do it. Robert and Dagmar Linton lived in... This is two people? Yes, the Lintons. They lived in um, Lodi, um, San Quentin County, California, mm-hmm. and they were about to be retired. They mm-hmm. loved the outdoors, and they took a lot of trips to Lake Comanche in the New Hogan and the New Hogan Reservoir. Mm-hmm. So in the summer of 1986, they were going to go to Ran- Vancouver to see the World's Fair. And uh, when they reached Washington State, their families stopped hearing for them. Summer of 96 or 86? 86. Okay, because I heard 96. And I'm like, wait, you know what? You probably did because I'm notorious for messing this up. (laughs) So the summer of 1986. 86. Mm -hmm. So they reached Washington State and their family stopped hearing from them. Their trailer was found abandoned at a campground in Washington State. And their car was abandoned at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. So small amounts of blood were found in the ceiling of the camper. And the blood samples um, were turned out to be the couples and then a third unidentified person. Yikes. Uh, There were signs of a struggle, but their bodies were nowhere to be found. Okay. Um, The Lintons' credit cards were stolen and they were used in various states. There was even footage of this bearded white man um, with a bandaged hand purchasing a clarinet. Um, however, after the news came out about the about how the credit cards were missing, the purchases just stopped. Uh-huh. And they interviewed the guy with the bandaged hand, but nothing really came of it. Yeah. So this was the only set of murders that didn't really have the same M.O., as the other murders. Interesting. So, so this is the noticed, first one. Um, kind of. I don't necessarily go in chronological order here. Okay. But I will give you the years and, and when they're murders. Okay. Chronological order won't necessarily make sense in this case. Okay. So what so, order are you kind of going in? In order of how they determined connections to the crime. Okay. So... The reason I did this one, this section first, is because it doesn't really feel related to the other crimes. It's not about coins or collectibles. But it was just randomly murdered. Still brought up as if it was connected. It is connected. Oh, what the heck? Mm hmm. So the crime that I'm going to talk about next is kind of the one that brought all of those previous crimes together and connected them. Because before. All of these crimes happened in different states, okay. so no, none of the police departments connected it. There wasn't a lot of inner, you know, agency yeah, this communication. Is the 80s, so. Yeah, so it was this case that connected the rest of them. So there were previous ones that were happening, and mm-hmm. no one knew yes. except for those places. Mm-hmm. But this so, is the one. Okay. So 1986 was the Lintons, and they're kind of the outlier because they don't really match. The mm-hmm. same MO of the other ones. Yeah. So in Billings, Montana, in 1990, yes, 1990, 
Um, Charles Sparbo, a 60-year-old quinchop owner, is found slumped over his desk, and his assistant, Catherine Neustrom, age 47, is found under her desk. Both were shot to the head with a 22 caliber handgun. Uh, they, that sucks. The Front co- or back, did they say? No, they don't mm. say. Um, the coin shop was robbed of $54,000 in coins and gold. Uh, the victims died on the way to the hospital. Jeez. So they were alive when they were found, but oh, no. dead in transit. It's even worse. Um, the day after the murders, though, um, Sparbo's son noticed that some of these South Af- African coins called Krugerans, um, he believes that they were laid out on the table for the killer to view them, like as if the killer came there to buy some coins. Mm-hmm. And he says that he was suspicious of this one customer in particular. He said he was a farmer from Laurel, 15 miles up the road, and Sparbo told detectives that this man told them that he was selling his farm for $130,000 and wanted to invest his money in gold. Well, they kind of found him odd because he's supposed to be this farmer, but he's got these super soft hands, like not the hands of a farmer. Okay. And he also parked his silver pontiac like further away from the store and then walked into the stores like that's weird <laughs> all righty then right? <laughs> and the most recent time the third time that the farmer quote-unquote appeared that and sparbo the son um jim sparbo left that was the last time he saw his father father alive <laughs> like that was the time they got murdered oh my god so that farmer was the last person he saw with them in the shop meaning that it's likely he probably killed them oh my god so he gives the description to police officers and they kind of get to work on it okay so they aren't hearing anything locally so they send out the description everything to the western united states and they hear back about two things out of washington so one a local coin shop owner noted a similar suspicious man who came into his shop, a guy named James Weir. Um, he confirmed, based on a composite sketch, that the two suspicious customers, the one from Billings, Montana, and the one from Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. are the same guy. What? And this guy kind of did the similar thing, where he would kind of come around the shop a couple of days or whatever, and was just kind of weird. The other incident out of Spokane, Washington, um, was the murder of Leo Kashat of mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington. He was shot in the head in his coin shop and robbed in 1987. So this was a year after the Linton murders that I first mentioned. Okay. So, so all of a sudden these calls start coming in from everywhere. So they get a call from Kansas City, Missouri, because Leroy Hoffman was murdered in 1988 at his coin shop. His coins were worth several thousands of dollars, and they were missing. So this man is just going straight Mm -hmm. up, like, store to store to just grab all these people's, like, he observes first, and then he Mm -hmm. kills them and takes all their coins. Stranger came 
the same story, seen around the shop, dead. Then, 1986, in Vacaville, California, Reuben Lucky Williams was shot in the head and robbed. 1985, Thomas Rohr from Mashaka, Mashawaka? Um, Indiana was killed during a robbery of his of the coin shop he managed. And then in 1980, which we believe is the first one, David Sutton Everett from Washington was shot in the head uh, in his antique store and robbed of $80,000 in silver dollars. Oh my god. So if you can see like what kind of connected them was the Billings Montana putting out their report of the crime and then they get calls everywhere of like hey we've got this similar crime here so lots of victims well you would think he would just sell like one of the coins he like stole to buy the coins well it's a lot you make a lot more money when you don't have to sell them and you just steal them but the idea of why why do you have to murder them like you couldn't just (sighs) rob them i mean i guess Obviously, tying up loose ends. Yeah, because he doesn't want them to report him. He would have got caught faster. Yeah. So the the linchpin in the case that kind of pulls everything together. I'm sorry. The Billings, Montana murder happened in 1989, I believe. Mm. So in May. Oh, no, no. It happened. It happened in, in 1990. Sorry. Forget what I just said. So in May 1990, before the Billings, Montana murder. But Billings, Montana is just hearing of this now. Um, a coin shop owner named Kelly Finnegan worked at Legacy Rare Coins. Um, and a man came into a shop named Jim Stockton. He would, he came by for like the past several days to like trade coins. Mm-hmm. And Finnegan kind of got used to him being there. Yeah. And so he's putting money away in the safe. And he turns his head, and I think he hears something about, like, you bastard or whatever, and he gets shot in the head. What the heck? But he doesn't die. Oh. He plays dead. Oh. So he lays there on the ground with a head shot, a head wound from a gunshot playing dead while this dude robs him. Of $60,000 worth of merchandise. That's crazy. But because he played dead, he gets to give the description of Jim Stockton to the police. Yeah. So they determined that Jim Stockton... Imagine getting shot in the head and you're still... So on YouTube, he actually... There's a full video of him talking about the experience. And it's very interesting. So it was in... um, Oh, Utah. I forgot to put what city, but it happened in Utah. And he's talking about how, you know, the guy just seemed very normal and that it was only because he turned his head that he survived because of how the bullet hit his head. But he said that he didn't really notice it, that it just happened very quickly. There was no life flashing before your eyes. Like as soon as he turned his head, like he was like, boom, he was on the ground. It was like, he didn't really... It's almost as if he got pushed down, basically. Yeah. Like, instant knockdown. Yeah, not... he didn't really, like, feel the bullet go into his head or really no. know what was going on. All right. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, so if you want to look it up, his name is Kelly Finnegan. Um, I was and, thinking and Kelly his... was a chick this entire time. <laughs> no, he sorry. He was a dude earlier. Sorry, he was, he's a man. And yeah. he was 29 at the time, so 1990. All right. So... 
basically they're on the trail. They're looking for information on this James Weir, right? Mm -hmm. So they find a car in Wyoming and the plates had recently been changed, but it's registered to James Weir. And they get, after like doing a sting, waiting for somebody to come for this car and Mm -hmm. nobody ever comes for it, after five days, they do a search of the vehicle. They find a notebook with labels, coin wrappers. They find a twenty-two caliber pistol in the trunk and a homemade silencer. That was the other thing. Yeah. When um, Kelly Finnegan was shot in the head, he didn't really hear it or understand it because the murderer had a silencer on it. Mm -hmm. And it was homemade. And so they even found out evidence of James Weir casing other locations. Wow. So basically, they are looking at different flights and names, and they're looking for James Weir. They find out that he's on a flight to Alaska. So they discover that he was picked up by his wife, Debbie, who had recently sold $15,000 worth of coins in Alaska. Uh, so she knows all about this. No, she doesn't. What? She doesn't. She Where just she thinks think he's a coin collector. She just thinks he's a coin collector. But the, but the, so honey, she has no what? idea. So James apparently moved with his wife to Kenny Lake, Alaska. Um, they lived in an isolated, you know, area, eighty-five miles north of Valdez. Um, so they get his address from there and. They arrest him. So that same day, they get a search warrant to search his storage units and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they find a whole bunch of evidence and they're linking him to the all the crimes that I talked about. So there were instruments to, you know, creation of false IDs, piles of mats, C4 explosive, landmines. <laughs> Where is this at? His home? In a storage unit. In a storage unit, okay. You know, valuable, rare coins. And if you remember when I talked about the Linton murders, about how their credit cards were stolen, mm-hmm. and how they were used to buy a clarinet by this bearded man with an injured hand, mm-hmm. well, in the storage unit, they find the clarinet <laughs> that was purchased with the Linton credit cards. And they see that Weir or Stockton has the exact same scars on his right hand as the man with the bandages did that was interviewed previously for suspicious behavior. Interesting. Why are they connected? Because he's the one who killed the Lintons. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, it's so interesting how this guy with the white beard has such a direct connection. No, he is the guy with the white beard. Oh, I'm thinking he's a completely different dude. No, he's the same guy. Bruh. That's why he's got the clarinet. He's got the same scar on his hand as so the bearded he's guy. The he's guy the guy who's been dude. killing everyone. Yes. I was just thinking like, oh, yeah, he just happens to be the same guy. Maybe they're working mm-hmm. together. What the so heck? So the Washington coin shop owner, you know, he confirms that the guy's James Weir. The law enforcement, you know, they confirm it. But they figure out that James Weir is not James Weir. Of course he's not. His name is Charles Sinclair. So Charles Sinclair is James Weir, Jim Stockton, the bearded man who killed the Lintons and bought a clarinet. So they're all one in the same. That's so crazy. All right, I killed some people. I'm going to go buy a clarinet now. Mm -hmm. What? So his name is Charles Sinclair, and Sinclair has a criminal history, um you know, out of New Mexico that includes insurance fraud, rape, kidnapping. Oh, my gosh. Um, he has a record. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really find 
too many details about these specific crimes, but... You sure the wife didn't know anything? They did not. Everyone was shocked. I get into a little bit more. Okay. But um, the crimes are like the disappearing of this vacationing couple in California in 86, the rape of a real estate agent that same month, um, and in 1987, a kidnapping and killings, you know, he's he's got a bad history. Yeah. So he was about to be extradited to Montana for the murders of Charles Sparbo and Catherine Newstrom. Mm -hmm. And the Utah authorities added charges for the attempted criminal homicide and aggravated robbery of the attack of Kelly Finnegan. But before he stood trial, in October 30th, 1990, Charles T. Sinclair died of heart failure in his Anchorage, Alaska jail cell. So we don't have any information on his motivations or how why. old is he? Um, oh crap! <laughs> I forgot to write down his age, but That's he was okay. like in his fifties. That's when he died. Yeah. That's crazy, um, dude. But we don't get to know his motives or like why he killed the Lintons, and but also killing people in coin shops, you know. And when looking at his history, it it's not clear that he would have become a serial killer. Like, he was born and raised in a small town in New Mexico, youngest of four children, working-class family, s- raised by a single mother. Dad died when he was young. Um, and the only instant in his life that kind of seems related to his life of crime is that he owned a coin shop that burned down in 1985. That but he committed a murder in 1980, five years before his coin shop burned down. So even then, I'm like, I, dude, I can't figure this out. Um, so, what? yeah. Why did he murder the guy before, though? I don't know. He's got at least 11 homicides, an attempted the only, murder. The only thing I could think of name. is that he got a taste for murder before. Maybe he wanted, like, something to add to his coin shop. And then when the coin shop burned down, he was devastated. Mm-hmm. And he basically, I'm wondering, like, did he rob these places, like, of all their coins? Or? Nope. So I'm wondering, maybe. Just was, some. This is me stretching, but I'm wondering if he was just tracking down all his coins that he his, was, mm. that he needed. That's a stretch, but you never know. Maybe he... Well, he was selling these- them and making money off of them. Yeah, so but I maybe think- he, like... Because he already knew what coins... I don't know his if his coin shop burned down. I don't know. So maybe he was tracking where, where certain coins were and targeted these shops based on what coins they had. And that's why he would look around, look for a bit, come back, target, take my coins. Well, I don't think... Because if his coin shop burned down, I don't think those other stores would have his coins well that's my thing i don't know they for all we know there could be duplicates of a single coin there could probably be like five of one coin like that's you know a rare coin he probably had one it you know didn't get salvaged so he would go to places looking for like you know say for example that one of the five coins type of thing and if he found it one of the rare coins he's like ah target it's possible. You know? And yeah. then he would sell it for, like, you know, just yeah. because, to survive, and then he'd find other stuff. Yeah. That's just a theory. It's But the crazy thing is he's got murders that aren't even related to coins. Well, that's here's the thing. Before is, the coin shop even no, burned down. But here's the thing. 
I'm saying he had a taste of murder before. Yeah. So after his shop burned down, he was like, all right, I already know what to do. I'm going to do it again. But now I'm going to get coins out of it. Well, actually, so he's got a murder in 19... The murder in 1980, he actually stole coins. So he did. And then the murder in 86 happened after he stole coins, after his coin shop burned down, but weren't related to coins at all. So it's just kind of a mystery. And they can't even... um, Those are just my theories. I'm, I'm more thinking, like, he probably stole in the beginning... Like, he murdered someone, stole their coins to put in his shop, and then when his shop burned down and he couldn't salvage the coins, he just kind of went coin hunting, and he already murdered before, so he was able to do it again without remorse and just took the coins he wanted. Yeah. And went about his day. Definitely possible. Bought a clarinet. But the crazy thing is, because he's dead, we can't even like we can kind of connect him to some other murders but we don't have anything for sure like i've seen some places where they say he has 13 kills some places they say 15 some places say 11 so it's kind of tough to pin down but the but basically his neighbors everyone in his family everyone was shocked that he could have even been a killer it's crazy because no one knew like everyone considered him to just be this you know neighbor collector just a normal guy so one friend said it's like a puzzle but you can't see the picture because half the pieces are missing um maybe he kept himself a lot yeah um the f the agents involved in this case said we all felt sinclair was a serial killer of the same stature of ted bundy they said we're still working on known and unknown crimes there's a lot of unanswered questions and the only one we know who knew the whole story took it with him to the grave yeah Pretty much. It's just crazy to me that the wife literally knew nothing and she was selling the coins. No, everyone was shocked. Everyone was in shock. Like, um, nothing in his demeanor, nothing really about his childhood that says why, and we'll never know. That's insane, dude. Yeah. So that, and he's called, uh, his moniker is the coin shop killer. There's a body of evidence episode Mm -hmm. um, that I bought on Amazon Prime, which is (laughs) part of my um, research, my sources for this episode. There's also an LA Times article that, um, that I used as my source and I lost my paper. So let me look up what my, my last (laughs) was, it was something called true crime database, this website that kind of goes into detail. Ah, here it is. Here you are. Just scroll for me, please. (laughs) So Wikipedia, um, body of body of proof episode, true crime database.com and LA times article. All and, of right. course, I'll always post my sources in the description of the episode and on our YouTube channel. Yeah. <coughs> oh, my God, don't die. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, don't die on me. <laughs> I'm trying. <coughs> oh, my gosh. It's Anyways. the macarons. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good, though. Yeah. I made macarons earlier. Or macarons. macarons Ugh, so macarons. delicious. 
They were fabulous. <laughs> yes. So um, that's the episode, Man in the Fallout Shelter. Yeah. Coin Shop Killer. I hope you guys um, <laughs> enjoyed. Uh, it was um, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's hang out again. Let us know what you think. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Let's hang out. Yes. Turn us on. Keep us turned on. Or, you know, don't do that. <laughs> no, keep us turned on. Listen to us all day, every day. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. And ever. <laughs> let's, let's, let's stay together. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, Al Green, let's stay together. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, yeah, You feel yeah. it? <laughs> Anyways, we Have will see you one, next guys. time for the next episode, which is The episode Woman in the Airport. 10. Mm-hmm. Which is a good one. <laughs> also a good one. Alright, guys. We'll catch you guys next week. Finger guns. Laters, babe. Clap in half. Adios. Goodbye. Next week on The Heart in the Bones. You know, if you know of any fan fictions that were written that continue that specific storyline from season one of Angel episode eight yes. and give us a happy ending. For Buffy and, and Angel. Let mm-hmm. me have and- it.